What's going on, y'all? Welcome in to another edition of the Hold That Podcast. Podcast hashtag HTPP. Um, I am your boy from off the bench, T-Bob Bear. Uh, I got my main homie Brody Miller from The Athletic with me. That pause there was I realized I don't have any coffee, which I normally also, we drink coffee during this. But yeah, I could use some. If we could use some. Yeah. Okay, let's start over. You're talking to that mic so I can see where hey, you're man, at. Let's talk about coffee. Coffee. Cold yeah, coffee. lock it in. Well, I actually really like that, but I think your levels are a little too low because you cold, weren't speaking of coffee. To keep it. I'll edit it up. We'll see what we keep. And we're back on the Hold That Podcast podcast um, each and every week. Myself and Brody Miller. Now we have coffee, by the way. We do have coffee. Um, but myself and Brody Miller, each and every week, we sit down and we get in to the LSU football nitty gritty. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, if it is not, welcome back. And, uh, yeah, if you enjoy it, spread our word, share it with your friends, because um, we love doing it. And, uh, like I said, I do think that this is just a great, If you, I know time's limited, you just got a single hour and you want to get ready for the game of the weekend, you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, um, I think HTPP is for you. And also we're going to talk, you know, it's, we're not just a football pod. Talk yeah. about life. Let's yeah. Talk about movies. Yes. Let's talk about coffee. I don't know, man. Yeah. 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 We're the Renaissance pod. You know, bro. The just Rena- like it's just like we're just like hanging out. We're just hanging out, man. The, you know, like just was the Renaissance good. No. 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 We're spitballing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That, that's like um, John Reese Davies. Um, he he was talking about improv one time when I was watching the uh, Lord of the Rings extended edition appendices. And he as was talking, but yeah, as one does. And he was basically talking about how you know the vast, vast majority of improv is complete shit. But that's why you just keep throwing stuff against the wall because it's a numbers game. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's the same style that um, who made the Big Short? Uh, Adam McKay. Yes, it's the same style that Adam McKay yeah. shoots his comedies with, with Will Ferrell, where they shoot like reels now. and reels and reels of stuff, but you only see the funny stuff. By the way, okay, uh, real quick. Yeah. Um, Between Two Ferns movie on Netflix. I know, I need to dive. I watched, oh. I fell asleep like five minutes in because it was late one night, but I oh. did need to dive in. Oh my God, dude, it is so funny. Yeah. Speaking of like good improv type things, it is so damn good. That's um, what I try to be. I'm the I'm the Brett Favre of podcasting. I'm just chucking some balls in there. I'm yeah, a gunslinger. Yeah. Some might get picked off, but you know what? I took the road less traveled, and that made all the difference. Hell yeah, man. Shout out Robert Frost. We got shout everything out, in our first five shout minutes. Shout out Brody sending dick pics to reporters unsolicited. Hell yeah. That took a turn. Well, you said you were Brett Favre. Yeah, I did. No, that one's on me. That that's, one's on me. That's why they say that, you know, reputation takes a lifetime to build up and only a day to tear down because I, years later, and I love Brett Favre, and I still can't help myself from making a dick pic joke when I hear it. That's so mean of me. Yeah, you got to move on. That's, I do. I do. I think I, think I do have to move Who's the dick? Uh, I think it's- Well, it's- yeah, it's it's kind of literally Brett, but it is me in a more less literal yes, way. Yes, yes. Um, speaking of football, we're refreshed. Uh, we got a bye week in us. We we do we do. I feel I feel juiced up. I feel ready to roll. Um, I love an eleven a.m. kickoff for Florida. Utah. Okay, let's start. Let's start here because I'm a happy man. I love an eleven a.m. kickoff for Utah State. Love it. And I love a seven p.m. kickoff. For Florida, um, I'm and is it six central? Is it seven? Six no, it's central? eight eastern. It is eight central. Yeah. yeah, it's a true night game. Real prob- yeah, Okay, so what I like about this is, I I get if so, I, and and this is a really selfish motivated. If I got to tailgate all day and I had a badass tailgate, and it's like what I did, I had all my boys with me. I would um I would want night games all the time, probably because that's like my holidays. Like that's what I plan all year round for. Uh, because I do not get to do that. 
I don't get as excited about these night games that aren't against good teams. And yeah, so like right. a Utah Jordan, I am cool with those being as early as you want them, but I still love a night setting for a big SEC matchup. Like we were talking to Jimmy Burrow today. It's going to be is that Joe Burrow's dad. It's going to be his Sola. first SEC yeah. uh game in Death Valley. That's crazy. It's going yeah. to be LSU Florida 7 p.m. two ranked teams. That atmosphere is going to be the best. It's. I mean, you'll see. You'll you'll find these guys. Tiger Stadium only reaches its potential a couple a couple times a year nowadays, and this will be one of them. This will be one of them because now, granted, they might have. Actually, this is probably gonna be the biggest game in Tiger Stadium this year, right? Well, they have Auburn at home. And yeah, so that, we, I guess it comes th- down th- to that. Wins. That'll yeah. probably be bigger. Well, yeah, I guess I'm assuming <laughs> that Auburn wins because they look got, so damn good I think right I now. Like Florida. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later. But it is just like a perfect like. I don't know. You got all the sassiness of the LSU Florida relationship yeah. the past like decade. You got Dan Mullen being like and Todd Grantham being like the one staff that's like consistently beaten LSU. Will that and save Dave it. Aranda? Yeah. What are you gonna do? And then you just got like the the this the taste of last year like driving down Joe Burrow throwing that pick to lose the game. Mm. I mean, it was just like this is gonna be one of those. Uh, it's I expect some. Uh, it's gonna be chippy. Some chippiness. Thank People you. are gonna be out for blood, bro. Um, but that's what, make the, that's what makes these games so much fun is everybody trying to – like I remember getting – back when we were in college, uh, we lost to Tebow's last year. We lost at home 14-3. It was the worst game I ever played in my life. Great out terribly. It still bu- bugs me to this day. But uh, Florida players were one. jumping on the F or jumping on the Tiger Eye in Ooh, Death Valley before the game that. and stepping all over it, and we got really pissed off, and then we failed to defend it. Uh, but the next year, when we went into Florida and won for the first time in like a decade um, on a last-second touchdown, the first thing that I did, to show you that his pettiness is real, the first thing that I did when we had won the game was I sprint out, sprinted out to the middle of their field and just started fat kid jumping up and down on the F. Like, like it's such a pointless gesture. I'm literally a, a tiny little human being slamming my legs against the earth like it's actually going to do something but it felt like so damn good and there's oh it felt good the best part about that is like when a quarterback does that that's like a thing like that's a news story for days man can you believe what baker mayfield oh, did yeah, on the florida no. f like if he did that and like uh, a center does that and it's like you don't see the center no nah, i didn't see it man <laughs> I, and well and and so i i do wonder i because that would have been 2010 yeah. it goes back to what we talked about when i was flicking off all the Georgia fans Ooh, and students yeah. section after one. The I bad think, boy of the LSU line. I think the internet was just a little. It just wasn't as. Maybe there weren't as many cameras. Where people weren't paying as much attention yeah. as they are nowadays. Like nothing escapes notice nowadays. No. A little bit more was, but yeah. But the point. The, the overall point is that the pettiness and, and the LSU Florida relationship, and they hate each other so much. And and there are times when this this this. Rivalry has been like two, the you know maybe the two best teams in the SEC, and um, and 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 and, and that moment, right? That that whole them stepping on the field thing stuck in my brain to where the first thing that I thought of doing after we win there for the first time in ten years <laughs> on a last thing to touch on the first thing wasn't celebrate with teammates or anything. It was go out, run to the F, and stomp that bitch out. Yeah, so, and you earned it, man. You yeah, it, it felt like it. It felt like it. So so I guess the point is. Uh, the Florida game is going to be incredible at night in Tiger Stadium. We can't wait. Before we get to Florida, Utah State. Unless you had something else to add on the game. I was just going to say, the the reaction to that being a night game, though, was a beautiful example of the LSU fan base where they're both very happy they get their night game to 
Oh, I just enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things I to know, follow. I know, but like, what are we doing? Why are people... Yeah, it's like they're explain both it. very happy to have the night game, because they want to tailgate all yeah. day, but also so offended that CBS <laughs> didn't choose it. It's like they just can't be happy either way. I love you guys. But- if you were in a relationship with an LSU fan, like if, if, oh, if the God. LSU fans were a single human being that you were in a relationship with... They would be very high maintenance. It would be very tough to deal with. A lot of attending just because you said the wrong thing. Yes, uh, and that's probably most like SEC fan bases, or at least the most vocal portions of. I think State and LSU rank pretty highly. Those I think State and LSU are the two most kind of. Uh, Which state, Mississippi State? Mississippi State. Sorry. Oh, really? I think those are the two most like. Um, how can I put this? Uh, Irrational. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I would. I, but they're I, also two of the most caring fan bases. I would that say. I, well, yes. Uh, like, uh, passion is a predecessor to irrationality. Absolutely. I, I, I do agree with Nobody that. Nobody murders somebody they like. Uh, you murder somebody <laughs> you love. Yes, yes, it's dark. That's a Michael Che bit. I didn't come up That's with that. It's dark, but that is absolutely yeah. true. Uh, it's a crime of passion. Um, I think that maybe this is my own LSU rationality. I do, I do feel like everybody's been irrational. I mean, think about it. Look, you got Auburn who wants yeah. to fire Gus Malzahn every year. Absolutely. Every year. Uh, even though he does, like, he has his really good years every now and then. You got Alabama who, if you don't talk to Alabama fans on a game day, because all my high school friends went there, so I'm in a group text with them, they're absurd. If they don't get a first down, it's like time to burn it down. This guy sucks. The defense is terrible. Yeah. We're in trouble. It's because they their 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 metric their bar for success is so high. I would compare it to LSU baseball man. that almost everything falls under it. Yes, yes, yes. Not the same in terms of overall programs, but the way the fans react to it's like fair. your standard is just sometimes complete. No, that's, that, that, that's completely fair. And you got Greg Byrne out there bitching about his own 11 a.m. kickoffs, yeah. which it is interesting now. That, it you know, is a factor. You know, fans are like, wait, what's going on now? Hang on, Greg, you got us playing in the morning. Um, but you're right. LSU fans simultaneously happy and mad. And I say this with a sense of like respect and admiration for just – so you keep the world interesting, LSU fans, and I appreciate Whatever, that. dude. Just because you went to Indiana, Hoosiers is a oh, shit dude. movie. <laughs> no, no comment. But – Hey, IU basketball fans are not that different from SEC football fans. I would, I would believe that. I would there's a sense, and there's also I'm trying to think of the best comparison. I'd almost say like a Tennessee football, where like there's just this sense of what they should. It's not that different from LSU football the past seven years, where yeah. like there's a, a disparity between like what they think they are because of what they've always been and what they actually are right now. Yeah. Hey, Victor Oladipo was good though, and Cody Zeller. Those were great teams. Yeah. Look at this guy. Yeah. All right, let's dive into LSU. Let's do it. 11 a.m. kickoff this weekend versus Utah State. A few different places we could start. Um, I'm going to start with just, uh, we'll start kind of off the field a little bit. An article that you have in The Athletic. Sign up for The Athletic. Brody writes to The Athletic. It is easy. It's the only sports site I go to anymore. I I kind of feel bad, but it is is awesome. Um, You have a great article about, there's a surprising amount of Utah State and LSU connections (laughs) on this coaching staff. So give the people out there a little background, a little flavor for this weekend's tilt. Yeah, so at different times, both Corey Raymond, I mean, not both, all three of Corey Raymond, Dave Aranda, and Bill Bush were all on Gary Anderson's Utah State staff at different times from 2009 to 2012. They were, and Utah State was a terrible football program when Gary Anderson took over. And you know they turned that around into an 11-win team. Then Anderson got the Wisconsin job, and Bush and Aranda both went with them. And 
here's here's where it almost gets the weirdest though is that all right so they all basically got their breakouts at this job you know Corey yeah. Raymond and Bill Bush from the original staff then Aranda came in twelve with the big and that's where he broke out and became a Broyles Award so where so Raymond so help me out with the Raymond storyline because Raymond was a strength he played in the NFL forever yes then he was a strength coach at LSU yeah for quite for a while then who plucked him and then Utah State did so he was just an LSU okay, so Utah State plucked him he was an LSU strength coach and like they were looking for Florida recruiting ties and Lord knows that's where Corey has a lot of success yeah. And they wanted to, and and Gary Anderson really liked strength coaches because they're teachers at heart, and he was just like, let's take a chance on this guy. And for what it's worth, you know, he was only there two years, and they had like five Florida players by the time he left. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, take that. And also, and they were only four and eight to two years he was there, but still, I think he gets some credit for. So where did he go right after Utah State? So that's a fun bit. Oh, full circle. He left for Indiana University. Wow. But he was only there about a few weeks, and then went to Nebraska instead. Mm. And then was there a year, and then came to LSU in twenty. Well, that's a bit of an incestuous switch, there, isn't it? Indiana to Nebraska. Ooh, I mean, that, that would have been probably like the first year of the Big Ten, right? No, that would have been pre-Big Ten, I think. Okay, I don't know. I have no idea about Midwest. But man, it's a great really. what if. Like, what if like he never got the LSU job because he was in Indiana, and Indiana's terrible, you know? <laughs> yes, or did Indiana suddenly become great? I don't know, man. Uh, but so so yeah. that, that that's pretty cool, though, man. So like back in the day, Dave Aranda's at Hawaii. Uh, yeah. Bill Bush. And Bill Bush is one of Gary Anderson's best friends. They've known each other since like Northern Arizona in the '90s. So he was the first mm-hmm. hire Gary Anderson made. For- and then, and then, so Gary Anderson and Bush are at Utah State. They're fighting for eleven win season. They're fighting Hawaii directly. And Hawaii's defensive coordinator is Dave Aranda at the and, time, right? And that was li- so Utah State's two and five. They're down twenty eight seven to Hawaii in Honolulu. I mean, this was like pretty bad. Uh, and Utah State comes back, wins thirty five thirty one. The defensive coordinator is Dave Aranda. Utah State runs the table, goes on a big run. It was like you know Matt Wells, who's now the Texas Tech coach, called it you know the game they turned the program around. So you know that off season comes. And they need, you know, Gary Anderson decides he's he's ready for a defensive coordinator. Yeah. He wants to take their defense to the next level. He, you know, all the entire Hawaii staff gets fired. Dave Aranda's unemployed. Matt, I mean, he was thinking about going back to coach high school football. He was thinking about going back, he? yeah, to coach his high school in Southern California. Jesus. Now that might be Dave just being a weird guy and exaggerating because he told that to to um, Bruce Feldman. Yeah. And, and but at the same time, so he's looking into it and. Either way, the man that makes now two and a half million dollars a year, like not that long later, was jobless, kind of looking for a job. And Hawaii coach Greg McMacken basically told you know Gary Anderson, like you have to hire Dave Aranda, you have to. So I think the most fascinating part of this whole thing was, so Gary Anderson wanted him, and Matt Wells liked him too. Matt Wells was being promoted offensive coordinator, and he's like, all right, Dave's our guy, but Matt, hold on, was there any thought? Oh wait, sorry, finish this talk because maybe you're about to address it. So and he's like. I have one problem, Matt. I don't know how we can sell this to our players. Yes, yes, exactly. I, because because we you just, just scored thirty-five-seven-seven lead. Yeah, like, I don't know. How we sell this, and Matt Wells is apparently the way the story goes is like, don't worry about. It. Let me sell it to the players. And Matt Wells basically went to him and is like, hey guys, it's, you know, it's not about one game. It's about the the entirety of it. I mean, Hawaii is not a defensive school, and he made them you know a top twenty defense. They led the nation in turnovers, crazy. didn't they? And even the year they that he got fired, they were fifteenth in sacks. Like Dave Aranda was already clearly making a name for himself so they gave him the job and all of a sudden Utah State jumped to being a, a 15 point a game defense and he became a Broyles award winner and and the best factor in all of this is that okay Anderson goes to Wisconsin yep. and he goes to Oregon Aranda State goes with him exactly and then now Gary Anderson is now back at Utah State that's what makes this like a perfect you know just bizarre story. I didn't realize Gary Anderson only lasted two years in Wisconsin. I thought they had a lot of success. They did have. Oh, you don't remember that? Oh, that was weird. So they were doing really well. Dave Randa's defenses were amazing. They made it to the Big Ten title game, and he that was the year they got blown out by Ohio State in yeah. the Big Ten title game. 
and then and Anderson resigned the next day and went to Oregon State. Wow. So I, you know, I'm, don't quote me on this, but I think a lot of it had to do with who's the AD. Bar- Barry Alvarez yeah. is going to be tough to play for. Yeah, Barry can... Alvarez is just like he's all. You're only one step away every single day of your employment. Barry Alvarez being like, I got to take over. Exactly. I'm, I'm coaching the team again now. <laughs> and I think academic restrictions are a little more difficult at Wisconsin than some mm-hmm. schools. I mean, I, again, don't quote me on that, but I remember that being a storyline when it happened. So that was a weird one. And then he only lasted Oregon State what three years? I mean, Oregon State's garbage. <laughs> okay, and now I'm remembering this because I remember everybody's like, wait, it's not even a lateral move. It's no, yeah. like you're willingly taking a downgrade. What's going on here? Um, so either way, Gary Anderson has now found his way back to Utah State, and it's pretty cool because Saturday he will be lining up across from his boys. I yeah. mean, Bill Bush and Dave Aranda in, in, in the booth, Corey Raymond, like a lot yeah. of his old and, – and the fraternity of coaching is, is always close, but – for it to I be do, Utah State to LSU yes, is just weird. Yes, it is rare for this to be this many direct connections in such a seemingly random match. Oh, we didn't even mention Michael Caputo. Oh, yeah, that's right. Michael Caputo was, you know, LSU's GA who was, he was like the outside linebackers coach last year. Yeah. Like he was a GA, but he was their main guy. Like, Ed was barely over there. And he was a great player at, uh, he at Wisconsin. For Dave and Gary Anderson at Wisconsin, yeah. And now he's the safeties coach at Utah State. So just the weird circular nature here is just kind of bizarre so it does add to a little fun storyline yeah so just something just something to watch in for. a 25 point game sometimes we're looking for things yeah like man just something to watch for you know if they have a little offensive if, if jordan love and utah state has a lot of offensive success now you can tell your friends well i mean nobody knows that defense better than gary anderson <laughs> i mean he had it for years of course he knows how to attack him True. uh so there you go we're helping you out with a little water cooler talk sounds smart with your friends <laughs> um so it's a great article thanks man go check it out on the athletic um, some other issues that we want to get into here. Um, there's a lot of different places we can start. We'll just start here because I think this is the most interesting. Last week, Ed Ogeron was saying that uh, he wants to start to experiment in the secondary a little bit. And and we'll talk about self-scouting because that's what last week was all about, is the ability to look at yourself. And I'm sure now the analysts and the shadow staff, like they're working on this 24-7, right? This is no longer like... Dave Aranda and Steve Ensminger having to watch the film or their GAs having to watch the film themselves and figure out tendencies. No, no. I'm sure now. And they have analysts that are breaking down all their tendencies. Well, you do this here and this here, and this is working. This is not. Um, So I imagine the self-scouting period's only got better and better. Have you heard uh, – what did Ogeron say about kind of some of the tendencies or problems that they found in in their internal review? I mean, I think the main thing that jumped out was how they're running the ball because I mean, we've we've talked about that before. But I mean, it, it's not that it's been a problem; they've overall been effective. But it has been kind of underwhelming. So I think running the ball is a big thing. Uh, I think another. I mean, I think the biggest thing is tackling. I think yeah. that's the number one thing they're addressing that these past two weeks. And Ed keeps talking about all the different drills he wants to do these during the stretch to fix that. Pretty it, cool to h- listen to the bit bite the bite too, where he's saying that. Um they're, they're even breaking down the tackling from a pretty analytic standpoint, saying that like, it's not the actual contact. It's not the actual point of yeah. contact. It's the it's the approach to the tackle that they are failing in. So they are getting like really into the minutiae, and, and of course they are, but I like that they're kind of explaining that publicly a bit as well instead of just being like, oh, we're just doing a couple yeah. extra drills. No, that is rare. That's a good point. And it's it's always interesting because you know, you're saying a lot of it's the approach. Like Grant Delpit now twice in the past week has said – He's like, because he's missed a lot. He's really hard on himself about it. And he's saying, listen, I, 
I feel like I'm thinking too much when I'm going into these tackles. Yep. And, and I always go back to, I think at the end of the day, it's just hard to mentally get that psyched for some of these games. And yeah, maybe legendary players and the great ones, they don't have that problem, but you can't live life off that Also, metric. you're not used to having this long of a bad block of games. Normally you have an Auburn game mixed in by now. That's a very good point. In the past, you've maybe had like an Ole Miss game mixed in, maybe in Florida early some year. Like, this is the... And you had a Texas. You had a Texas. You, you had one... But but normally you you would have had another one in the interim, and with the new bye week adding a week, and now a Utah State game, it's just we're kind of counting down the minutes a little bit until Florida, uh, until until conference play starts. Like I'm excited for Saturday because I'm always excited for LSU, and I want us to learn more about this team as I always do, and like Ed Ingram and other things. But but yeah, it's been it's been it's been kind of a soft opening outside of Texas. And then the last thing I'd mentioned then when he was at a self scout was turnovers because they're not really forcing many. And, you know, they also have dropped, you know, one thing that the defensive backs brought up, you know, and it, the, the stats show it. I mean, they've dropped quite a few interceptions. And, yeah. And they're not forcing fumbles. And he's talked about, you know, the way they tackle and how you need to kind of go for the ball. I think that's kind of a thing. And it's not something that's been a glaring problem because, I mean, they're still fine. But it's something that they probably in the SC play need to get better at. Yeah, and they're very good at it. And, and you know what, though? I think, I think they're starting to turn a corner there. And I'm really just judging that off. The two great picks that they had yeah. in the Vanderbilt game. Like sometimes you need just a little crack the seal, get them real quick on Grant Delpit too. When we say and Ryan Clark did a really, that was really good job of yeah. talking about this on Matt Moscone's show, and I completely agree. Um, but when you say he's not playing well, it's not about it's just statistical not playing well. It's more about just him not having the kind of impact or being in the same position or being in the position where he needs to be or like the missed tackles thing. Like, like I don't know if you can ever expect someone to come up with five picks and five sacks again because five picks is a bit of a statistical anomaly. You, and you see it all the time at LSU where a guy's year when he's a bit more unknown, teams try to attack him, he comes up with a bunch of big plays and they start to avoid him. And what do you know? The pick numbers go down. Yeah, It's I only mean, natural. Yeah, last season he was playing like – I mean, just in my small experience covering college football, he was probably the most – that was the most impressive defensive stretch I've ever seen in person. Just yeah. in person. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. Tyron Matthew-esque. I mean, it was amazing. You can't always be that all the time. And this is purely speculative, speculative so this is not fair, but I almost wonder because, I mean, I talked to him at length this summer about – you know, the one thing he really wanted to like take the leap on is just fix all those little things and get rid of all those little mini mistakes he's making that give up plays. And yeah. I, I almost wonder, because he said he's thinking too much, I wonder if, like, okay, he saw how good he was, so now he's trying to be perfect because he knows he can be that good, and now he's point. just kind of in his own... I mean, it's a great point. I don't want to get too dramatic with no, it. I don't, I mean, yeah, like, I don't want to say there's like some existential issue with him. If we're assuming, but, though, it's easy to put yourself in those shoes yeah. where everybody's been there, where... In an effort to want to do your best, maybe you push a little too hard or you stress yourself out a little too much. And you're just not playing naturally. Yeah, and then you and it ends up being a net negative. Um, that's where I think something like, and I don't know how current LSU is on this, um, but I know there's something that Nick Saban's big on and something that I'm a big fan of is um, the mental training of side of the deals in, in sports psychology and – working through issues of, okay, I know I want to do good and I have all this pressure on me, but how do I avoid pushing so hard and how do I remain myself? And I, and I think they're pretty forward-thinking. There you go, Brady. got your little article idea. Well, yeah, no, Shelly Molnax, I think, is a big part of kind of trying to, you know, she's become, you know, an associate AD and, like... I mean, back in the day, we to talked wellness. to this guy called The Wizard who was an awesome guy, an ex-Vietnam medic. Had a super long Gandalf beard, super long gray thing. hair. Um, he was the best. He helped me immensely with anger management. 
Uh, but the thing is, it was only it was only a couple times a year, and and it really helped me, which is crazy because it was such a limited interaction. It was a couple times a year, and it was only because I showed that I needed anger management. Okay. Yeah. Like I would like a more baseline. Let's just get these kids mentally, sports psychology, because I think it's a huge advantage, man. I think it's one of the reasons why Saban has had so much success when I talk to Alabama players is they have an almost uh, military special forces-like regimen of breaking things down to the immediate and the now and not being overwhelmed with the big picture with the setting. And Will Wade's huge in it as well. Yeah. And when you look at how Will Wade's teams perform in crunch time, they were great last year. The six-minute game that he puts all the emphasis on, those final six minutes, nobody was better than LSU last season. And I think a ton of that traces back to their psych- psychological training. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. It's, I mean, it's, it's something to look into. Yeah. It's no, no, it's fascinating stuff. Absolutely. Um, Ask the questions, Brody. Look, I'm the idea guy. You're the journalist. Uh, you're the idea guy? Your questions suck. You need to get in there, and you need to ask the questions that I'm telling you to ask. What do you? Okay, so what else do you want me to ask? Let's do this right now. Um, I want you to ask about sports psychology. Got it. What else? Um, I want you to ask what uh, Edo did on his bye week. I do not want to ask that. Uh, why not? It's funny. I'm sure he went to like a college football game or something. Someone, first off, someone did ask that. Were you not there? No, I know that's yeah. that's. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, look, I'm. I'll ask about the fans. I, no, no, I said I'm the idea guy, as in one singular oh, okay, idea. That's fair, yeah. I gave you your yeah, idea. You Stop have, trying to obfuscate things. Okay? You always have one great idea. Exactly. Um, <laughs> where were we? Well, we were talking about Delpit and self scouting. Yes. But one of the things I I think this probably transition into that is. I'm just fascinated by, and we don't know if they're actually going to commit to this or anything like that, but the idea of experimenting with Christian Fulton at nickel, you know, nickel safety yep. and whatnot, and maybe, you know, is that a statement about Kerry Vincent? Is that a statement about Cordell Fly? We don't know if they're actually going to commit to this. So I don't want to make too much of it. I have an article up this morning breaking down kind of why they're doing it. So last week, just so people know, so last week they said they were going to test it out in practice. They yes. tested it out. What did he say about it yesterday? So he he was short about it and just said, you know, we're still looking into it and you will see it in certain sets this week. Okay. So, you know, I think we will see it. And, you know, I think it's it's a tricky thing because it's, you know, we, we talk about this a lot on here, but, you know, we always talk about Kerry Vincent. I think he's become kind of the – the scapegoat for people being able to pass yeah. in the middle of the field. And by the way, teams, it, that is objective. Teams are having a lot of success passing in the middle of the field. What was the numbers? I saw them this morning, uh, like eight LSU yards per is, Teams are 18 of 24, 75% for 199 yards and two touchdowns inside the hashes this year, according to Sports Info Solutions. Give wow. them credit. And wow. Yeah, I mean, it's the highest in the SEC by a, a decent margin for anyone over 15 attempts. And, you know, it's also for 8.29 yards per attempt, which is, you know, ninth in the SEC. I mean, teams are having success there. But the question is, is you know, where is, the, is it because of Kerry Vincent? Is it Vincent? actually Kerry Vincent or is it, like, schematic? Because you talk to, like, Matt Flynn and yep. Richard Dixon and Matt guys Clark's who really yeah, too. Who love coverage. And they, a lot of times they, they're like, well, I hate quarters coverage. And they're running quarters coverage. And it opens up those middle zones. And that's yep. why teams are having so much success. They're getting hit most, in my opinion, my, my own uneducated opinion. I feel like they're mainly getting hit above the nickel and below the safety. Yeah. You know, that's where teams – and that, that also comes into – it's not just Kerry Vincent probably. I think that also is – you know, Jacoby Stevens is the guy often covering that guy tightly. I mean, that's not going to be his expertise. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of openings there. Ryan Clark talked about that one touchdown in the in the left corner of the end zone against Northwestern State. That wasn't in the hashes, but you know, that was them getting right in the zone in between Stingley and and Vincent. I think it's I think it's a little more complicated than that. But at the same time, 
I do think we've seen Kerry Vincent get beat a few times, mm-hmm. and you know, by t- by people that he probably shouldn't be getting beat by. Yeah. And my overall point is to say there's a lot of factors that go into this, and I don't think it's as object clear cut as they're trying to replace Kerry Vincent. I think it's let's get the because th- modern offenses are working toward. Like else, you put Justin Jefferson in the slot. Yeah, they put their best receiver in the slot. That's where teams, especially spread offenses, are getting the most value right now. Well, that's where you're creating the most mismatches. Absolutely, because the guys have their dogs on the outside normally, and so the weakest corner is going to be on the inside. And yeah, and you're seeing the NFL move away towards that, where the slot corner is becoming one of the most valuable positions in football. Think of a Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I mean Patrick Robinson got paid. Uh, I think four year twenty million after the Philly Super Bowl, where yep. he was a great slot corner. Now, That's for whatever almost- reason, it's kind of gone awry again in New Orleans. But uh, the fact that they were willing to commit that value to him just shows you how much, yeah, an NFL team it's wants something a big thing. And that's where I think this comes from. Of and by the way, we don't know if they're actually going to do this a lot. But okay, if you can get your well, best, they're going to do it. Though. Yes. So if Christian Fulton is maybe your best cornerback right now. Why undervalue the slot? Why not put him there a decent amount? And I'm sure it's more complicated. Than, I'm sure they have certain things they see where it's smart to do it. I'm, I don't have the answer there. But why undervalue that? Why not put your best cornerback there as long as you trust Cordell Flott on the outside, which it sounds like they do? And that's a big question. And um, he had the one play against Texas where they tested him. And I always, I always go back to I don't think that was bad coverage. No, he, he was, was draped right all over him. He was right there. The guy made a great catch. The, the only thing that that shows me, to me, it's funny, the Cordell flop play just reminds me how good Derek Stingley is. Yes. Because Derek Stingley's ball skills are so crazy. And Flop was right there. That's just a ball skill timing sort of issue. Yeah. So um so yeah, will 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 it pay dividends? Do they play less zone coverage yeah, uh, moving forward throughout the season? That's something to look at. I think quarters. you need you need to be able to play sorry, I cut you off again. No, you're fine. But you're fine. I think you also probably need to play zone against Alabama. I think if you play man against Alabama, I think that's where they would. Well, I think you have – it's the same way that you have to be able to run the ball a little bit. I mean, yeah, I think you have to be able to play a bit of zone. I think you can still mainly be a man-up a man up uh, team. But, but yeah. I mean, look, Alabama, LSU, it doesn't really look like either side is going to be great at stopping the other side yeah. when you look at how both defenses are playing right now. Um, it's kind of crazy. The other thing that Grant Delpit said, because we were asking him a lot about it, because he's the only defensive back we got yesterday, so poor him, he had to hear all these questions. And you know, he said he's like, it might like it, a lot of it might just be having more depth there, because right now, who's the backup for Kerry Vincent and, and Nickel? I mean, it's Cam Lewis, and who I, they don't yeah, they I wouldn't want to play yeah. him in major minutes. I'm pretty sure it's Cam Lewis. I don't think you want to do that. You don't want to play him in the SEC. So. I think a lot of it might do with, for example, you're playing Utah State this week, who is the fastest offense in in the country right now. Are they really? I think or they're right there. I mean, they're faster than LSU. Their touchdown drives. Brooks Kubina found average about one minute fifty one seconds. I mean, well, they're ridiculously it's a good thing. fast. It's a good thing that we have the warp speed tempo yeah, we'll already we'll involved. We'll get that in a second. But you know, you're about to face a really up tempo offense. You probably need more depth to be able to rotate guys, right? Yeah. So maybe it's as simple as. Hey, we need more than just Kerry Vincent there. Now you have Christian Fulton. Now you got two options there, and you can rotate guys and get a little more creative. That is a great point. It's never it's uh, cross training for depth is never a problem, and actually that leads us Let's into go. our next point, um, where we're talking a little offensive line Let's because do it. I think that's going on right now. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any. Oh, the only closing thing I'll say on the secondary, um, Cody Warsham, because he's been doing really good like he does. coverage breakdowns on great. Twitter, and I was like, where'd you learn your stuff? 
Um, because that's one thing as an O lineman, I never really learned or understood with route concepts and Absolutely. coverage concepts. Uh, he, he recommended me a couple books by, oh, really? uh, yeah, uh, Smart Football. Oh, he's great. Yeah, yeah. So I've been reading him. It's very good, very fun. Um, all right. So speaking of cross training for depth, uh, it's here, Brody. The return of Ed Ingram. I can't remember. Was it official last week? I think it already was yeah, official. It was official last week. Uh, but we're going to celebrate it again. You roll your eyes. I'm not rolling my eyes. I think this is huge. I'm not rolling my eyes. No. I'm st- you roll. You did roll your eyes. Did, I mean, you literally rolled your eyes at me. Okay. True or false? Never mind. I'm going to tiptoe away Are, from okay, this. Okay. You're, you're rolling your eyes at the, I'm guessing, at the just... Is it like just the over belief that Ed Ingram's just going to be this Lord and no, Savior no, for everything? No, I'm my eyes at the thing where you kind of have to tiptoe around sometimes. Like, how do you go about glorifying? You know, like by the way, he was the, the charges were dropped. I mean, yeah, oh, but it's just oh, like you saying. know, it's just like I always want to be really careful. About, okay, like, so I am. I I am a. I'm not saying I, you're not. I, you're no, not I yeah. am someone who like I. I'm not always very forgiving of that case. Like, I hate Joe Mixon. I hope that Joe Mixon never has yeah. anything good happen to him ever in the NFL ever again. Um, I wasn't sad when he got hurt. Like, and this is weird for me to try to offer any value judgment on when I when we're not in the case. We don't know the details. But we don't. everybody I've talked to and people that I really trust vouch for this kid's character. And so I don't know what happened. But when I have like a Jack Marucci, who that is Jack Marucci's main thing is character. He's yeah, he's huge on that. We we mentioned it right. He's cataloged the twenty plus years he's been here. He's come up with a character metric for each team, and he and he measures that against success levels. And the highest character teams have the most success. And he said that he he would let it. He would love for Ed Ingram to like date his daughter. Like he loves like yeah. everybody I talk to says he's a high character guy. So I don't know, man. I'm okay. I I guess that's. I, yeah. I guess I'm just saying this public. That yeah. that is how I feel comfortable in fully celebrating him. Is because I actually don't. I think there's some weird stuff that went on there. Absolutely. And by the way, I don't want to. I want to like for our listeners. I am not taking any stance at all. That case, the documents are sealed. Like yeah. And like I know. Nothing. I don't want to pass any You're judgment on him. You're a big fan of cancel culture. You're going through Eddie Rose tweets right Stop now, it. aren't you? Yes, you don't are. T- so uh, that was just me explaining because you put my eye roll out there for the listener that was supposed to be a private moment but that was me just being like sometimes i don't know how to discuss it but i have no judgment against ed ingram and by all accounts yeah for great okay, things so, so i misread it though because i thought you were rolling your eyes because you thought that we were over hyping him no so you're so you're you you think he's going to have a big impact i think so i mean well i mean we're broken record on here but first off i think the margin for improvement's pretty large at left card right now yep. i think he might play a few different spots but i'm just saying like i think that's a big thing so even if he's flawed, I think he's going to be a difference. I mean, you talk to everybody. I mean, he is in fantastic shape. And You've been in practice. How physically intimidating does that Ingram looks, look right I mean, now? He looks like he could be a defensive end. You it's know what crazy, I mean? Like he, he looks it's like crazy. A, a great athlete. And, you know, Clyde Edwards Lair had some really interesting thoughts about that last week. About he's like, oh, like, and Joe Burrow actually kind of backed that up today, too. He's like, from just a pure athleticism standpoint, he's ready. It's more just like getting ready, used to. A football practice, you yeah. know, it's it's fo- you know football shapes the corny thing, but football shapes a weird thing though. Like you can go out there and you can run twenty six one tens and make your <laughs> yeah. times, and then you'll still like try to go play a game and get tired really fast. Yeah, so I think Ed Ingram makes a big impact, and it's also worth noting this offensive line. It's this is why I'm excited to talk about this because they have improved dramatically in most categories. But hit, hit us, well, do you want to get to the improvement before we get to the butt? Just to give some people some numbers, because yeah, you, it. yeah, yeah, because you, you, you've touched the numbers before, and I think it's, it's, it's good to point out to give them some credit because, like, like you've talked about in the past, this is a championship team, 
And so, or championship caliber team, yeah. So we are going to nitpick a bit. Yeah. Uh, and it's not to say that a player is bad. It's just that in the land of everything is perfect, the person that is good will look, you know, that that's the person you're going to talk about and be like, well, we got to see improvement there. So the yeah. offensive line has been way better. But yeah. it's just that the rest of the offense is perfect. It's also, like, I wrote this in my uh, post-Vanderbilt game. It's like, LSU's no longer being judged on winning games. They're yes. judged now on, are they good enough to win a college football playoff? Mm-hmm. So there's the metrics different. So you have to view it that way. No, I mean, so LSU offensive line last year was objectively a major problem. I mean, it was, the pass protection was... <laughs> it was it was the entire... It was, it was the, the worst it was the root. It was the root of all evil yeah, in it terms caused of last every year's little, team. The ripple effects of that offensive line issues yeah. affected Joe Burrow. Anyway, so, I mean, so far they were, you know, last year they were 96 in opportunity rate. An opportunity rate is generally basically how often do you get the yardage you're supposed to get. You know, say it's third and three, do you get the first? First down, do you get to second and five? Things like that. And last year they were 96. Mm. That's pretty bad. They had a 127 Division One teams. Uh, it's worse than about 75% of teams. Yeah. And this year they are um, number 45 in that metric. Okay, okay. Now 46 yeah. now after the bye week. Apologies. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, then I'm still kind of surprised that they're 46 just given the kind of ludicrous success of the offense but but i guess but we, but we see them get stuffed a decent amount yes you know? no you're right you're right exactly that's why now, that is an inter- that is a play-to-play success stat maybe i'm wrong about that because stuff rate last year then number 91 and that's obviously a problem this year in stuff rate they are number 26 oh, after the bye week okay. you know they don't they're not getting stuffed as much as we think and okay now i i would very much go back to a story I wrote two weeks ago about I think a lot of the credit for that stuff rate goes to Clyde Edwards Hilaire, though. Yes. Because he leads the SEC in well, he's the lowest in the SEC in yards before contact. Like guys are waiting for him and he is making guys. Oh, miss. he's the lowest in yards before contact? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, no. So that really was, drives home. Those how good stats he does. were fascinating. He was so okay. So, good, but at the same the time, I mi- the only one I saw was one that Cody was talking about, where seventy percent of the first tacklers are missing. Clyde. What are the yeah, numbers? Yeah, so that's not. I use a different stat than that. That I don't think that's entirely seventy percent. Might not be quite be right. Mm-hmm. But his, I think it was like forty-seven percent going to the Vanderbilt game, which, to be clear, led the SEC. Wow. Like, so that's what's amazing about what Clyde Edwards-Helaire has been doing is that the LSU offensive line has been. Leaving him, not. I don't want to get too dramatic, but like I said, lowest in yards before contact. They are defenders are often waiting from at the line, yeah. and he is making that first guy miss so often that he still leads. He, you know, he leads the SEC in yards. You know, broken tackles. That's so crazy. The stuff rate's only twenty six. His success rate, I want to say, was like third or fourth in the SEC. That's crazy. So a lot of credit to him, but still credits the offensive line. That is improvements, improvement at the end of the day, and then sack rate's the big one that obviously is easiest to cling to. They were number 101 last year, worse than the SEC, if by my memory serves, and this year they are number 65, which you were surprised by. It is surprising because of how quickly Burrow gets the ball out. Well, I'm surprised. I'm just trying to think about how many times it actually been sat. Was it two or three it's against like Texas? S- which, that's a high number. That's a high number. Um, I want to say it's like at seven right now. It's nothing crazy. But I'm just saying there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of good pass protection out there then. I mean, if the yeah. seven sacks is hitting you like directly in the middle of the pack, it's yeah, still a seven big improvement. Right but it's yeah. just it's just okay, you know what else it is? You know, yeah, like num- number ninety one to number what what number did I say? Sixty something? Yeah. So yeah, still, you know that's 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 big. There's like a thirty three percent improvement basically. Yeah, big math guy. <laughs> Not <laughs> to brag. Um did that in my head, by the way. <laughs> um just dropped a lot of numbers on you guys. We apologize. No, no, it's good though because that's what this podcast is for. Okay, we're not we're not trying to be just like easy morning fun listening. We want to get a little more nitty gritty. So yeah. I like this kind of stuff. Uh, the sack rate to me is interesting because it doesn't feel like they've been sacked that much this season. 
I think that's probably because of last season. And I think it's also one thing that's really great about this offense that I talked about after the Texas game that I haven't really touched on since is the explosive nature of this offense. Their ability to overcome negative plays yes. makes you mistake makes you forget about a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You forget about that false start that would have killed a drive back in the day that you would have harped That's on. A really good point. You forget about that holding. Forget about that sack because they're coming back and they're slinging it and they're getting the first down anyway. Absolutely, and. Uh, yeah, I mean that's something that just yeah. now real quick on the sacks though. Thought, but... Real quick on the sacks though. Yes, Edo talked about this and he's right. They maybe haven't necessarily been truly tested. Yes, so it's like this combination of okay, so you're already making this dramatic improvement with Sadiq Charles missing two of four games, if my, and with you know Ed Ingram not there yet. So yep. at the end of the day, you're making this improvement and you're about to get better. That's that's big, you know. If you're already this much top fifty in a lot of metrics, and you might be getting Ed Ingram back, who you know might be your second or third best offensive lineman if he's as good as he's supposed to be, then all of a sudden, yeah, there's a lot of optimism. But you know, these these metrics are not opponent adjusted; they are based on you know just mm. they're just what the numbers are. So LSU has not played a truly great pass rush; they have not played a truly great run defense. That's going to change when they play. Even Utah State's a pretty good defense. I think they're number 33 in SP Plus defense. Really? Yeah, they're good. Um, Gary Anderson's a great defensive. I, lo- I just looked up like some basic conference stats for them. They were kind of middle of the pack in a lot of things defensively. But that's not S&P, which yes. obviously the S&P is. It's not a great defense, counts. but it's a solid one. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're about to play Florida's Todd Grantham defense. I mean, you're- that's the test. And then Auburn's defensive front, which they're great in different ways, but those are two. So this this is something that I think we talked about this last week, right? That that that's what I love for this LSU offense is the escalating staircase, yeah. where you start with Florida, who I think Auburn's even is a bit better. Now Florida, though, I, I do Florida's better pass rushers on the edge. Like they're more, I feel like Agreed. they're more set on the edge to really test your tackles. Auburn's stronger up the middle, yes. better overall front seven. But either way, you start with Florida. Agreed. If you pass that test tougher against Auburn if you've had passed that test Alabama is not a better defense but because of what they've become in LSU fans minds like that is the ultimate test so Florida is going to be a great fact-finding mission I think on these tackles and how much have they actually improved especially because that's how Florida killed them last year was off the edge because that yeah that is the best example of a team just flat out destroying this offense that is the poster of you know of what happened last year in so many ways it's an example of what happened with play calling it's an example of what happened with the O-line with Burrow everything everything so that will be the test of growth, and I think you know I don't know if this Florida defense is quite as good as last year, but I mean regardless, it's still really good. And Ty Grantham is still one of the more creative pressure, almost like a Todd Orlando. Again. And him and Mullen have had LSU's number, exactly. as you said. So I think that is the best test because it will be a best test of one: has the offensive line grown? Two: you know Joe Brady and this new offense, how can they adjust to that? Even if they are getting beat, all these things. That's what I'm most fascinated by, and chances are it's at Ingram's second start. That's going to be a good test for him. I, you know, Sadiq Charles and Austin Deculus were the two people I pointed to at that game last year where they just got, for lack of a better term, just embarrassed. Yeah. How do they look in this one? I, I think that is the number one test. Yep. And um, and to be clear, uh, like we've said throughout the year on this podcast, like the tackles are going to be put in better positions to succeed. Yes. Like in this offense, you just can't whiff. Right? Like if you even hold them up for a little bit, Burrow has gotten to the point where he'll probably make you right. Like, yeah, you may give up a sack, but the majority of the time he'll get the ball out and he'll make you right. Um, Texas game's the best example. Yes, yes. That's so the- you don't you don't have to dominate. 
You don't have to lock him down. Like last year, you had to lock guy down for three seconds. It's nearly yeah. impossible. Uh, just don't whiff. That's all you got to do now. Um, well the, the the other part that I love about the Ed Ingram return, again, not to reiterate too much from last week, but it simply is, the. it's so funny to me how much one player can affect your depth because it makes everything better. All of a sudden, you to now have point. Adrian McGee. Let's assume that Ed Ingram ends up starting. Uh, you now have Adrian McGee, a guy that you do trust, right? Like, you, he's maybe not the best, but you know he, he is good enough to play. Yeah. And and you trust him. And he can play left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard. That's awesome. And now, have they confirmed this? I should have asked this yesterday uh, if I wasn't late, like an asshole. Um, have they confirmed that Chasen Hines is just doing full-time second-team center now? Because they have that, not. That's what I would have him doing if I was them. It's a good idea. Because Charles Turner's retro. Like, Charles Turner does not need to play anymore. Oh, He's yeah. not ready no, to be absolutely. the backup center. If Jason Hines is your backup center, stop playing him at guard right now and make him focus solely on center. No, that's probably a good idea. The only thing I was going to say is, like, you don't want to necessarily give up on Jason Hines being your guard of the future also, though. Because you don't have to. Yeah. I, I, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Right. Like, yeah. you still have an offseason to work. But if you've got McGee and, and, if you got McGee and Ingram at guard and you feel good, like, Hines knows how to play guard. Yeah, so if, like, if something crazy really, yes, happens. Exactly. Yeah, if you yeah. get in the nightmare scenario, he could step in. Um, how does he look stepping into the nightmare scenario of Lloyd Cushenberry having to miss time? Because that's the scary thing. Yes. And, and no, that You convinced me. You're you alleviate right. those fears by just making Chase and Hines only focus at center. That's a good question I'll ask about this week to get you an answer. Idea um, guy? See, idea guy. Idea Two ideas in one pod? The Who is this guy? With an S guy. And just to like break it down to our listeners just how much the depth is changing and it's it, it is a really good point because it might not be the the sexiest depth but you're going from you know an Adrian Mickey like you said being the starter to now he can play guard he can play tackle Badara Traore when they were desperate these last month or so he's a tackle who had to learn to play guard yeah now all of a sudden you have a true backup tackle you have a true backup guard um then also don't forget Anthony Bradford they love Anthony Bradford he's gonna be really good he's got to get his weight figure out things like that but he's a guy who I think down the road they would love to be a starting guard or starting tackle. So all of a sudden, like Anthony Bradford's your like fourth or fifth guard in the when things really come down to it, that's better. Suddenly, you know what I really like too it reminds me not to just be that guy because I, I I don't always like to call things back to my own experience. But in my senior year from offensive line, we have nine guys. We had nine guys that had starts. Not that everybody was like great, but we had had nine guys that had gone in there and had starts and played. And the ability that that gave us to weather injuries was invaluable. And this O line is now shaping up to be like that because, like you said, you got Troyer with experience. You got uh, you even got like Dar Rosenthal. Something now I don't think he's ready, but you got you got experience. Like so, yeah, they're 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 all of a sudden just because of Ed Ingram and they chain reaction. You got nice depth. I got a question for you. Yeah. Because it's something you know. I always point to Austin Deculus as somebody who probably had to play too early. And because of that, looked bad. And that might have even set – I'm curious. Called the Jarrett Lee syndrome. Okay, exactly. Because I, I think that almost set him back in a lot of ways. I'm curious, do you think it's person by person, or do you think it's generally there is a thing where a guy might develop better because like, because he doesn't have to play? Or do you think a playing time might help certain guys? I'm just really curious yeah, how I that guess, works. Yeah, I guess – I mean, I, I, I do think – I. I do think that's probably on a case-by-case basis, if I had to guess, right? Uh because if I'm just putting myself in those shoes, the idea of me having to play my true freshman year, or even my redshirt freshman year, 
it was pretty terrifying. Like I would not have been ready. Yeah. I would have got my ass kicked. And and like you said, who knows what that does to you in the coaches' minds long term? Like, do they stick with you yeah. at that point? And and the fans, everything. So. But then there's other guys who uh, maybe you weather a little bit of bad and then those game reps are coming valuable. I will say this. If you're Deculus, you're seasoned at this point. Yes. Like like you don't like you're yeah. not scared of anything. Like you're like, I've been here before. I've been through the I've been through the bad. Like I'm I'm not worried about He's that. Learned I know strengths what, and weaknesses, yeah, exactly. Probably, yeah. So I think it's a case by case basis. But okay. but I do absolutely believe that some guys have gotten their careers derailed by being put into bad positions like that. All right. I don't know if Deck is like that though. We'll see. He's got a big couple weeks coming up here where he can Yeah, we'll he, get the answer. He, he can him. change yeah. a lot of people's minds if he goes yeah. and plays well. Because LSU people are adamant. They stick by him. Like they're like, listen, that guy's good. I mean he's gonna be fine down the run, long run. We'll see. That was a good answer by the way. Thank he's you. A, he's a big motherfucker. I know. And he's, he's one of those big boy dude. I hate, hate, hate when people say things yeah, like deceptively yeah. athletic for white guys. Yeah. But he—it's just not even a white thing. It's a, his body shape just doesn't look that athletic. But yeah, he's, he's, talk, kinda, yeah, he's, he's a good athlete. He's, 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 looks like he's in the higher oak end. tree, dude. Yeah, yeah I mean. he's in the higher end of LSU offensive lineman athletically. Um, so wow, white guy, Impro- impressive. Color me impressed. Unbelievable. Color me impressed. I didn't know. No, no, that nice. is not. That is not at all where that was going, Brody. Jesus. <laughs> Um, so we're okay. So we're we're feeling good about the return of Eddie Ingram in the O line. Yes, um, or, or or even if we're not feeling good, we well feel better. But you feel better than you did a year ago. Start there. Yeah, that's a that's a metric for success. Yeah, and we are going to learn just how good they are over the next couple of weeks. Uh, which, by the way, I can't wait to watch Auburn Florida Saturday. If you're an LSU fan, watch Auburn Florida because this is basically like a. A fact fight, like this is a scouting mission. It really is. Like you're behind enemy lines, and you're and you're and, and you've got secret access to the info to see what these guys want to do. Kyle Trask, I'm watching you, you bitch. I know, and I remember we're talking we, like that's another beauty of the game being at 11 is it kind of gives like the coaches yeah. like more time to actually study these things and look at that game for them it's an extra day like a whole extra day <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. it, one lsu staffer said that he's like it's a whole extra day to study oh that is crazy so, and they can probably watch that not that like they wouldn't be able to watch it anyway but like they can probably watch that game in real time what time's it at um, uh it's 2 30 i'm right? guessing it's a 2 30 but still yeah well no i mean yeah they'll be you, 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 in the second half well actually with l i was gonna say with lsu's new uh football style that game starts at eleven. It probably won't end until about six. So yeah, maybe they won't be able to watch it. Games take really long when you throw the ball, Brody. They really do, man. <laughs> I mean, they take a long ass. One time. more reason I love those eleven a.m. kicks, baby. <laughs> all right, give, give me a life. I want to file at two a.m. Uh, okay, so uh, I know. I shout out to all the journalists who are out there. Our lives are not hard. Pounding right? away at midnight. Um, all right, so we 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 hit on Ed Ingram. We hit on self scouting. We hit on moving Fulton. Um, I asked a buddy at work uh, if he could ask us on the Hold That Podcast podcast one thing, what would it be? And he wanted to ask about the five LSU running backs and the plan for the running backs moving forward. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't I, have a lot to say on this. I don't have a ton to say. Yeah, I think one thing that was really interesting was. I mean, Ed, Ed Ogeron talked, I think, a few weeks ago about how John Robinson, you know, John Robinson usually once a day probably comes to Ed and gives him, you know, a different kind of thing he's observed in a day or something to put in his head. And one thing Ed admitted he told him was, you know, you got to get those young running backs in the game earlier in the game. He was usually they're going to him maybe the third or fourth quarter when it's a blowout. And John's advice was, get oh, them. really? He said, try to get them going earlier. And 
You know, we saw that against Vanderbilt. We saw, I think, at least Davis Price come in the second quarter. Um, I'm not complete. My memory is not perfect. But the second half of Vanderbilt is just a, a like a haze. But I want to say they both came in at some point in the second quarter. Uh, so yeah, I think that's something to follow. But I think it's pretty darn clear they trust Clyde Edwards-Helaire by a good and margin he's more. It, dude, he's clearly the he's best been, one in the room. He's been really good. Also, I think one of the areas that those guys those young guys are behind on are things like pass protection absolutely you know people always point out that third and 17 pass Clyde had that crucial block that beautiful. made that happen I mean, beautiful Clyde's block. not a big guy he's not some great blocker but he knows what he's doing there he knows how to pick it up and I think that makes a difference and I don't know if Emory and those guys are there yet or also I don't know if you can trust them in pass catching as much as you can trust the Clyde so I think they're in Drew Brees territory where if you want to play running back you better be able to protect the president Okay, yeah. you got asset number one, and everybody's got to understand what they're doing, and I don't think they do. But that's no, that's no slight. They will. Yeah, no, good. I think. Oh my, I mean, Davis Price has looked wonderful when he gets the ball. Yeah, Emery, we all know, has so much upside, and he had Emory some, scored a touchdown. Last I was going to say he had some nice runs really? against Vanderbilt. Both those guys, John Emery, will probably be a star running back here in a year or two. I, yeah. I just, you know, sometimes things don't work out perfectly where you're a star on day one. You know, it kind of goes back to the O line thing. It's maybe it's good they're not putting him out there. Yes, before he's no, ready. absolutely, man, absolutely. I uh, do think you will see them both get the ball more as the year goes on. I think you're going to see them be more ready. And also, I'm a huge believer in the idea of fresh legs and something like that, where all of a sudden, week seven, you got a guy like John Emery who has so much talent and fresh legs. Boom, you know. Yeah, it definitely feels like I don't think Elair's getting passed up. It feels like Lenard's probably going to have his reps yeah, take more and more of a hit, and then Curry's just uh, he's behind the pack. Right now, yeah, he's behind the freshman. Yeah. Um. All right, so that's really all on the running backs there. Uh, let's talk about Jamar Chase. Yeah. Um, because it was a bit of a coming out party for him last week. His numbers are stupid. He's averaging twenty yards a catch. Uh, actually, him and Jordan, or him and Justin Jefferson's numbers next to each other are really fun because they're basically the exact same numbers right now. Yeah. But Jamar Chase did do it in a game less. Uh, my man is. It kind of feels like he's ready to ascend. It kind of feels like everybody's talking about Judy and all these Alabama wide receivers and Chase is ready to kind of stake his own claim as best in the SEC. I mean, he looks like the best. Wow, was it crazy to say? Okay, no, Grant Delpit. But he looks like the him and Stingley. I mean, it probably, the order probably goes Delpit, Stingley, Chase in terms of pro prospects in the grand scheme of mm. things, right? I mean, Justin Jefferson is still the best receiver on this team. I mean, Fulton's a first rounder too. Yeah, or, or like, but under, I don't know. I feel the, like under I feel, the and, and this is not grades. a slight on Fulton. I would just probably put him next. You know, yes, I think like Fulton's. Probably, no, I'm just I'm just being clear. So you're saying that all those th- other three guys, first rounders for sure, obviously. I feel Great like Delpit Stingley can be like a top, top 10, ten pick. Delpit yeah. can be a top five pick. That's true. Chase, if things go right, could be a top fifteen pick. Fulton, if I had to chuck up a guess on what do I know, but like twenties, you know, that's not that's incredible. But um, and just Jamar Chase just. You know, it's funny because I still consider Justin Jefferson the best receiver on this team. He's the guy you trust day in, day out. It's just what's interesting is when Justin Jefferson dominates a game, it's just consistency. It's yeah. like every drive he has one catch of about 20. It's, it's Tim just, Duncan. It's the big yeah, fundamental. That's a really – yeah, I like that because he I is mean, a really great route runner. He's a guy who's going to have like eight catches for 140 yards. So you didn't even quite Great route it. runner. I thought that was a white guy term. Impressive. Okay. So he's a good route runner. By the way, that's my – you ever heard that Daryl Morey thing? No. About <laughs> the Houston Rockets, they have a firm belief, that, that a firm like rule that when you're evaluating players in the drafts and all that – 
you cannot use you have to no matter what use cross racial comparisons. So if you're comparing James Harden to somebody, you have to say Manu Ginobili. Like you cannot I love that rule because it's so true. You need to kind of view it first off, it probably it's helpful. It probably takes no, absolutely. It probably makes you view it from a different absolutely. perspective. I love that. So we should get better at that. Uh, uh, no, but no, but okay. But the point is, he is a great route runner. Like Justin Jefferson yeah. really is. And I feel like my point was like he'll have eight catches, one forty, and he'll be like sneak, sneak up on you. Like, yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice. What Jamar Chase does is he just like takes over a moment. It's literally like a heat check guy. It's like we keep going with basketball comparisons. It's like a J.R. Smith or something like that, where he'll just all of a sudden wow, or Jamal Crawford with J.R. Smith and Jamal Crawford. That's a really good basketball I mean, no, player. Take I out the personal. It. No, stuff. I mean I, I get it. Well, is he still he was. I mean He's like thirty eight or something. Give him a break. We, can we give my guy somebody a little more uh, flashy and dominant? Like well, a, Jamal uh, Crawford would be my other. Like, well, could you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think yeah. of a guy. I mean, I don't want to give him Kobe yet. So you're right. I'm not. I'm no. not trying to go down He's that somebody. Path. Yeah, right okay. now who can just like take Maybe over Jamal for a burst? He's your sixth man who just like dominates and. He's more than a six man, but you get my point. Where like he will just take over a moment, and there'll be stretches where he gets like four targets and five plays. I think he's the guy that Burrow trusts most when he's just under pressure and needs to get it out to somebody and just beat somebody. In it a does one-on-one. seem like if it's one on one, um, and Burrow just wants to throw it up, know his guy's gonna fight for it. That he, yeah, I mean, and when Jamar Chase has validated that belief, if that is the case, and he has this ability to like manhandle a guy, you know, just I think the Texas game you saw it. I think the Vanderbilt game you saw it, where like. They'll get, in the Vanderbilt game, they all said this. Burrow said this, too, where they realized very quickly he was just destroying his guy. Yeah. So they just started getting the ball to him fast because he was just beating him in seconds. He has that ability because he's he's physical, but he's athletic. He kind of has it all where he can just flat out like ruin a guy's day. I actually talked to Jamar Chase for a game yeah. day interview One yesterday. To that, uh, well, it's the worst interview I've ever done, and I'm doing something that I've never done before Bummer. where I'm never letting it see the light of day. Are you serious? Yep, and I am going to redo it. Um, it was bad. Like I don't know. It was just like embarrassingly. Bad. I saw him laughing at one point. Uh, it was so. I I, I don't want to get into it. I look. I'm a bit. <laughs> un- I really want to get into it. I'm a bit unmoored right now. Uh, my wife and baby have left me for ten days. Yeah, still. Yeah. And it was fun at first, but I'm just making bad life decisions. Oh, I'm just Let's talk about it. Uh, I'm just um. It's just all the it's it's all the hedonistic pleasure decisions, right? I'm just um, a lot of wow engaging with myself a lot, um, a lot of World of Warcraft. Yes, that you, you think you know what I'm trying to say here. A lot of World of Warcraft, not a lot of work that I need to be doing. I'm letting things pile up. Yeah. The house looks like shit. The yard looks like shit, um, and I'm not doing anything about it. I I like I, I become it. such a bad person without my family with me. I I, filtered into the interview thing. I I hope yes, yes. And so the point being, I showed up to the interview just like my throat wasn't working. Like I sounded like shit. My questions were awkward. It was just, and I was sweating as I was doing it because I knew I was bombing. I felt like a stand-up act that was just failing. Like a pitcher just goes up, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, it's only eighty-two today. I'm screwed. (laughs) I mean, hey, how about the pitcher that one time took a hit of acid and then didn't realize he had a pitcher? They showed up tripping balls and pitched a no hitter. Well, first off, I'll read that later. I have not. It's back in the seventies. I don't know the story. But anyway. Anyway, I was the opposite of that. I yeah. showed up on the acid and I sucked. I get it, though. I mean, like, remember, like, I had that, like, two-month span when, like, I knew I was going the athletic and Nola <laughs> was kind of getting bought out. And, like, I had two months where technically I could have just chilled. And it was supposed to be this, like, really peaceful time. 
but in the end I actually like it's kind of exactly like you, you because feel a little more because I knew I had free time I kind of was just a mess of a human <laughs> yeah, just and a then drift felt at sea. worse yeah so I actually 100 percent understand oh that's the other that. thing like no working out I'm eating like yeah. shit. Just eating yeah. like terrible every single meal. Well, I don't have that problem because, as um, you know, I'm a physical specimen. But so we're gonna get. We're, I'm, I'm gonna get it back on track today, though. I'm gonna get it back. You talk to him again today? Um, uh, I'm no. Like, I'm how soon talking, do you go back to the well? Well, yeah. I'm, no, I am talking to him specifically again. Yeah. I'm gonna lie and say that I lost the digital recording. Um, it's a good lie. Uh, but no, I mean, like, I'm gonna work out today. Hopefully, I'm gonna. Uh, by the way, when are you come to Yogalati's with me. Yeah, I got. I just got to plan it, but yeah, I'll do it. Okay, you're married at twelve thirty, four thirty, or six every day. So you let me know. You go every day? Uh, no, I go three days a week. That's my goal. If I had three days a week, I'm good. So just yeah. let me know. Just hard. Okay. So point being, in the bad interview, he gave an answer where I asked him, like against Vanderbilt, did you start knowing that you could just take over, or did you? Was it more gradual? And he said it was a little more gradual. Well, you know, he went in confident. But then, like a shark, he just kind of smelled blood in the water. Like, oh, I got this kid. Yeah. Like, this kid doesn't have a chance. And then he, uh, well, and then you saw what happened. I like that because he's got that, like, slyness to him, right? He's got yeah. that kind of just, like, he seems like somebody who probably has that, like, I'm going to ruin you instinct a little bit. Oh, absolutely, yeah. bro. Yeah, I, I can tell that, dude. He's got the killer instinct, uh, which, you know, it's like a Jamal Crawford. I, I think I was talking with somebody about this. Jason week. Terry. I know. Who, who did we compare him to recently? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why Jason Terry came up. It was it was on the podcast like two weeks ago. And I remember it being amazing. Uh, it was a rational confidence. We were talking about <laughs> Joe Burrow. Uh, <laughs> but I was talking about like the pro prospects of all three of these receivers. Yeah. And, again, I like to always clarify this by saying I'm not a draft guy. What do I know? But I feel like Justin Jefferson will probably work anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But he probably has like a limit. You know, he probably will be like a very solid, reliable yeah, receiver. Yeah, the NFL scouts say like third, third, fourth round. Yeah, he'll be. Sense. I think he'll be in the league for a while, but he'll never be like a superstar. Yeah, I think Terrace Marshall um, is somebody who probably I would guess it de- he has a lot of development still to go, and you know he might be a completely different player in a year. But he's somebody who probably depends on like where he lands. You know, I think it's like if he ends up in the right system, he will be a freak. If he ends up in maybe the wrong one, he will be really marginalized. I I could see that happening. What do I know? But Jamar Chase is somebody I feel like no matter where he goes will probably be a great receiver. He's good enough to be impervious to it. And I think he can fit in like almost any system. You know, I feel like he's somebody who could be – he could be your just kind of quick, you know, possession guy. He can be your deep ball guy. He can be your—I don't know. I just feel like he fits. No, everything. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And and in the past, you might be like, oh, well, he's not that tall. Well, the modern receiver doesn't have to be tall. That's all. Uh, he's not short either, right? No, he's not short. He's like six one, six yeah, foot okay, maybe. Okay. But I'm saying, like in the past, you know, you value like the Calvin Johnson. But then you look, you look at like Odell, AB, Jarvis, Amari Cooper. Um, yeah, Jarvis. Like you don't have to be super tall to be great and anymore. Uh, does his role change? Last one, then we got to wrap up. Let's do it. Does his role change post Terrace Marshall? In terms of like literally his role in like the offense, targets. No, no, no. More like, okay. do you think Burrow starts to feed him more than Terrace Marshall? I got? bet you see. You know, it could go either way, right? It could be. I, my guess would be, I think you see both him and Jefferson. Remember, if you feed him more, how can everybody eat, Brody? You got to think. <laughs> Does about this shit. everybody really? Eat? You got to think about this shit. I know. I enjoy you tagging me and everything that references that. Uh, <laughs> And you know, it could go either way, right? It could be he like I think him and Jefferson will probably get like a ten percent increase each or something. Yeah. Or now that does that mean defenses? You know, because before they were so spread thin with these three star receivers, you can't double any of them. You can't. Mm-hmm. Vote. You know, maybe now with both those guys, you can draw a little more attention that on them. Sense. And then a Stephon Sullivan and a Thaddeus Moss get more looks. I just don't know. I'm really. I guess it, it could go either way. I it, agree. That's a good breakdown. 
Um, so be on the watch Thanks, out man. for that this weekend against Utah State. Last thing, Jordan Love. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you my. It. I'll give you my stereotypical general thing I know about Jordan Love. Utah State won ten games last year. Jordan Love is viewed as a good quarterback. Yeah. I looked at the stats. He leads his conference throwing over three hundred yards per game. He has six touchdowns, five picks. Yeah. So I'm going to say he's turnover prone, and I'm going to say this LSU defense got to force some picks. Yeah. So it's interesting because okay, last year's Utah State team was just top to bottom really good. Yeah. This year's team won ten games. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, the only the, thing I know about Utah State. I know. This year's team is lost a lot on offense. Defense brought most people back. Good defense. I think, like I said, thirty third in SP plus. Offensively, they're in the fifties. You know, Jordan loves a star, but the overall offense. I, I actually he didn't get quoted in there, but I also talked to Mike Sanford Jr., the new OC at okay. Utah State, for that story. And you know, he talked about. Listen, he's replacing all but one offensive line, man. He's replacing a lot of the skill guys. You know, their offensive line isn't exactly great. You know, they've, they've been solid in the metrics. They don't give up sacks, but I think a lot of that is just that they're so fast and get the ball out yeah. fast. Um, I think it's a team where I think this LSU defense can kind of get their mojo back a little bit. I think they could beat them up front. I think they could probably cause some problems for Jordan Love, especially if Caleb on Chason's back. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jordan Love's a great player, but I think LSU, Dave Aranda specifically, can – figure out how to force a pair of I agree. Remember, Dave ran a coach at Utah State. Remember Did that? he now? Yeah, remember that? Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, prediction for this weekend? LSU cover the 25? I don't really care about score. Do you think they cover? 24, 25, whatever it is. I will say yes. Yeah, I, I would have said no before the season started, but they've given me the benefit of the doubt where I'm going to say they cover. That's tough. Yeah, I, go, I honestly think they kind of shut them down and win like 38-14. There you go. You heard it here first. Wait, that wouldn't be covering. My bad. Uh, great math. <laughs> By Brody Miller, catch him at the Athletic. Hey, go buy your game day meats from A Bears Specialty Meats. You see in my videos or posts the amount of meat that I've been eating? I have. It's not Proud good. Because no. I went to the doctor a couple weeks ago, and I figured out that I have incredible blood pressure. It's all good. Cholesterol's great Proud and everything. And so I guess I'm really putting that to the test. Because instead of being like, oh, I should keep living how I'm living, I kind of took that as, well, shit, let's crank up the red meat. Let's go. You know, this goes back to the Grant Delpa conversation. <laughs> this is how this happens. You get too comfortable, all of a sudden you're... Yeah. Exactly. So go to Avery Special Meats, listen to Hold That Podcast podcast, and uh, go Tigers. And we will see you next week. Have a great day.